December is a month of celebration, togetherness, and tying off loose ends and imagining the future. If I can offer one culture tip for this moment, it would be to create a culture plan for the new year. Culture doesn't just happen, you need to make it happen. In general, a company's most expensive asset is its people. So it surprises me when companies fail to develop a culture or people plan that invests to grow that asset. Write a mission statement, define company values, build a culture roadmap as you would approach a product, measure, adapt, and make culture a priority. At Rebel, we make it a priority to have some fun together each quarter. We have a budget, a strategy, and a plan to keep our culture vibrant. As a team, we've gone curling to the trampoline park, done escape rooms, and thrown axes. Doing this kind of thing doesn't need to be expensive. We've had just as much fun hosting poker tournaments and playing party games in the office. A great culture is easy to grow, but it takes energy and some planning, so it needs to be considered as part of your business. Until next month, this has been Rob Villeneuve, CEO of Rebel.com and Startup Canada Fellow for Culture and Engagement. One of the most important parts of naming your new business is finding an available website name that works. Today's episode is brought to you by .ca. Join thousands of Canadian entrepreneurs who have chosen a .ca domain name for their business. Choose your .ca domain name at cira.ca forward slash startup today. Disruption, investment, work-life balance. Delving deep on the topics that matter most for entrepreneurs. He's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada Podcast Network. Welcome to the Startup Canada Podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rivers Corbett, the CEO at coachingbyrockstars.com. Startup Canada Podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the rallying network uniting Canada's entrepreneurship community. And on this podcast, we connect you, the idea person, the startup founder, the creative thinker with the movers and shakers of Canadian entrepreneurship. On the show, we will fill you in on the trends, opportunities, and possibilities of your next steps as an entrepreneur. And we're going to have amazing conversations on advancing entrepreneurial success and growth in Canada. If you are a regular Startup Canada podcast listener, Welcome back and thanks to any of our new listeners. Remember to subscribe to the Startup Canada podcast on the iTunes stores and then visit startupcan.ca to become a member of Startup Canada and get access to mentors, resources, support and opportunities to start and grow your business. Ladies and gentlemen, we have someone on our show today that is at the epicenter with regards to the government working with us entrepreneurs. And we're just so fortunate to have Shereen Bensvi-Miller, who is the Assistant Deputy Minister of Small Business, Tourism, and Marketplace Services at Industry Canada. I can't wait for this conversation. Is in today's interview, we're going to discuss the federal government's 
role in supporting entrepreneurs, what the change in government means for entrepreneurs, the different roles of the public service and political offices, and how entrepreneurs can work with both her vision for the future of entrepreneurship and what she is doing today to make it happen. Previously, Shereen was the Director General for the Office of Small and Medium Enterprises and Strategic Engagement at PWGSC. As well. <laughs> You're going to have to tell me what that means because I'm trying to look in the script and I don't see it. Just think of it as public works. All right. At public works. I love it. Public works. Mm. And public works is responsible for procurement. Uh, so Perfect. They do a lot of buying. Love it. Thank you. And she was also the Director General of Rights Redress and Resolution for, for the Correctional Services of Canada. Shereen is now responsible for service delivery to Canadian entrepreneurs. That's right. That's you and me. And she was recognized as one of the top 100 most powerful women in Canada. And the work that she has done directly impacts the environment for entrepreneurial success. I would actually suggest you are actually probably the, one of the top five most powerful women in Canada <laughs> because of that, uh, that focus. Shereen, it's really great to have you on the show. Thank you. So, Thanks for having me. Yeah. So first of all, tell us about yourself. You've had that. You have had an interesting journey, and uh, so yeah, tell us about yourself and how you came to be uh, the public service leader for small business tourism and marketplace services. Sure. Happy to. So I'm a human rights lawyer, and I'm very motivated by focusing on people who don't necessarily have a voice at, a t at the table. So advocacy is really my best instinct. And I became a specialist in sentencing and post-sentencing law, so an expert on prisons and uh, how prisons interact with uh, the public and with inmates and what it means and what it means for Canada. And um, then I uh, also decided at some point to take seven years off to be at home with my kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I finished working at being at home with my kids and realized that they just didn't need me all the time, <laughs> I uh, was recruited into the public service. And uh, essentially, I said to them, I would be happy to join the public service as long as it doesn't infringe on my full time job as a mom. And they were very accommodating. So I joined the public service as essentially the human rights advocate for federally sentenced offenders. Right on, right on. But then there's and that, that, that begs the question of how, how I got to be an advocate for small business. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Which sometimes there is a sense of being in a prison ourselves, too. So absolutely. <laughs> I, like, I can see the connection. Go for it. Well, actually, I think the, I think the common connection is that I think that Canadians, citizens, and entrepreneurs often feel like the government's a big machine right. and they need an advocate. They need somebody who really will listen to their problems and can respond. So I found that the advocacy skills that I developed uh, in the context of criminal justice were exactly the same advocacy skills that one needs when one's going to help people. Uh, in, and I started doing it in procurement, mm -hmm. which is a big machine, mm. right? So so it, it was a natural, in the end, it was a natural transition for the skills that I have. Well, let's talk about that, uh, that time in procurement. Um, you were very much involved with the work towards improving procurement policy in Canada to, at a minimum, enable the government to become a first adopter of new technology. I mean, that's uh, that's that one fantastic. Two, how did you did you have a vision, a focus, or did you just say, no, this is in my heart and it's right, and I've got to uh, move forward with it? What's I mean, that's a challenge to make that change. 
I think part of being a change agent in any context is uh, the ability to listen to people, to actually really hear their problems. One of the things when I was in corrections, I ran the uh, grievance system. So mm. I really learned to listen to people describe their problems. And I love it when people tell me their problems, because then all I have to do is work on solutions. Mm. Half the work's already done. And similarly, working in the area of procurement and small business, it was really about listening to people and to hear what their pain points were in dealing with the government. It's one thing to just say the machine's too big. It's another to say that, as, as one entrepreneur said to me, uh, the machine is entirely broken. You wouldn't know an innovation if it dropped on your head. If it dropped on your head, you couldn't buy it because your whole system is set up to buy things that you can describe. And if I just invented it, you can't describe it. And then furthermore, when I go abroad, insult is added to injury because foreign governments will ask me if Canada was the first buyer. And I'll have to say no, because did you know that you wouldn't know an innovation if one dropped on your head and then you couldn't buy it even if you did. Mm. So once you, when you hear something like that, right, it's very motivating. I mean, I went back to the office and said, well, this seems ridiculous. Mm. Surely, surely we should be able to be the first to buy cool things. And, you know, we don't have to know everything. I mean, I think uh, it was Henry Ford who said that if he had asked people what they they wanted, they would have said yep. faster horses, yep. faster horses, right? <laughs> yes. So, you know, we don't have to know that you could invent a car. We just need inventors to tell us, by the way, what you really need is a car. So, um, so that it became easy to try and figure out, given our legislation and the framework of our trade agreements, in what space could we become a first adopter and how would we do that? And what kind of conversation would we need to have with innovators? So really the process of driving change from inside or really from anywhere is partly an ability to really listen and then be creative around solutions and not take no for an answer. You know, So when the lawyers kind of shake their heads and say to you, well, that would really be hard to do, mm. you know, you have to be prepared to say, well, what makes it hard? You know, how can, I wasn't really asking if I could do it. I was kind of asking how I could do it. <laughs> so, so it is about changing the conversation around things that are difficult. Do you, uh, do you find that, uh, because of these journeys that you've been on and being such a huge change agent internally, that other departments are saying, okay, I'm going to send you to talk to Shereen for half an hour to learn how she does it. Uh, are you, are you, be, have you become a mentor in this regard? Well, you know, that's a really great question because I think there was a time when people were a little bit afraid of people like me who really want to do things differently. Um, but uh, that's no longer the case. And, and it's probably been about seven years, maybe even 10, that the public service has really started to embrace the fact that you need a diverse kind of leadership in order to, to really drive any agenda. And so, yes, I have been very fortunate to be in situations where communities are sort of, you know, um, more inclusive. And I've been included in a number of communities of people who want to change or people who aren't sure how to do it um, to really be able to participate in this. And it is really across government because I'd say when you're in the service delivery business, which is really what government is about, um, you really need to figure out different ways to provide service so that you can truly be 
meeting the needs of the end users and meeting the needs of the people that you're trying to serve. Well, let's pivot that on your your role today. It's uh, it sounds really honestly like a like a uh, like a really cool position to uh, to be involved with, and and of course the minister that you have is just uh, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, but tell us for the entrepreneurs that are out here, coast to coast, uh, what is it? What is it that you do? What is it do, that I do? Well, that's a really great question. Um, I would describe what I do as um, my focus really is on building trust. So if you think about um, the department, the Innovation Science and Economic Development as a department, our mandate is to help make Canadian industry more productive and competitive in a global economy, right? Right. And that intersects directly with the interests of small and medium-sized enterprises because, you know, 99% of all businesses in Canada are SMEs, right? Mm-hmm. So the department works to ensure that our economic framework policies promote competition and innovation, support investment, entrepreneurial activity, and instill consumer and investor and business confidence. In my own sector, I have, you know, the superintendent of bankruptcy. We have Corporations Canada, Measurement Canada. I have the Office of Consumer Affairs. I have a variety of different mechanisms that encourage business innovation and productivity because ultimately businesses really are what generate jobs. If you think of 1.1 million SMEs across the country, in every sector, in every corner of the country, they are the engines of the economy. So, you know, when a government wants to ensure that Canada's economy is inclusive and provides a supportive business environment, we need to focus our energy in a variety of different ways. So if you're asking me what I do in my sector, yes. um, you know, we we basically try to help with the ongoing investments in incubators, accelerators, in venture capital to make sure that there's a healthy um, startup community, that there's, a, you know, a vibrant financing option for entrepreneurs. We look at increasing the diversity of entrepreneurs through a focus on women and underrepresented groups. Mm-hmm. We work with Startup Canada because we're interested in new entrepreneurs. Um, also in my sector, I have tourism. So mm. we support tourism SMEs through developing, for example, a new federal vision, but also working with our provincial and territorial counterparts because tourism is an industry sector that really cuts across the entire country. Every community uh, has tourism Uh, options that products that generate um, economic benefit. So I get to support Minister Baines, who's the innovation minister, the Minister of Innovation, Science and Economic Development in developing an inclusive innovation agenda that has a goal, obviously, to build Canada as a global center for innovation. And also Minister Chagger, um, who's also contributing to focusing on inclusive growth and building you know, an entrepreneurial and creative society that can basically harness the diversity of Canada's talent. Yeah, I love it. And, and you know, I'm so happy to hear you talk about tourism because as an entrepreneur, when I first heard about Minister Jagger and her her, her her portfolio, I said, what the heck does tourism have to do with business? But you just weave that so nicely as to a wonderful rationale. And uh, I'm, I appreciate that because it was, it was, a, it's, it's, a, it's, I think it's a common question amongst entrepreneurs. Okay. If we're so important, then why are we plunked in there with tourism? But you just well, cleared it's a, it. It's a question. It's a question among entrepreneurs, but also in, amongst my policy ah, colleagues, okay. you know, who maybe think of tourism as a bunch of people standing around a pool with martinis. <laughs> yeah. But in fact, in fact, it's a $90 billion industry sector. Right. It's, it's a serious, it is serious business. Love it. 
and it is ubiquitous in Canada. It's one of it's one of our big drivers to you know attract attract money from elsewhere. It's a big export industry. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much for clarifying that. That's uh, I always like to take one cool thing out of every conversation. I know there's going to be more, but that one for me I is enough. I was going to say, I hope there's more. <laughs> there is, of course, of course. Well, look, um, you know, entrepreneurship crosses many departments in Ottawa, from global affairs to uh, Canada revenue to status women and so on. And in order to make anything happen of meaning, entrepreneurs know that there needs to be leadership and a focus towards that common unified goal. How how does your department work with other departments? How do you work with them to ensure that that kind of integration strategy is there for so so every entrepreneur is there? Yes, you know, we talk about segments and so on, but you know, I'm feeling kind of left out as, you know, the 50 plus year old white guy, uh, I'm not getting any respect anymore because all these other groups are uh, are getting them. How do you include everybody in this journey? That is such a great question. I mean, in fact, actually, people have been lobbying us to start calling a certain segment of entrepreneurs seniorpreneurs. Yes. So who knows? <laughs> we may we may we may come to that soon. Right. But you know, the truth is that it's not always visible. But departments. Each department, obviously, having their own mandate, actually work very, very closely together. It's often behind the scenes, but every department and organization may focus on the different challenges in the prism of challenges that are faced by entrepreneurs. But I can give you an example. So as part of the innovation agenda to support growth-oriented entrepreneurs... Earlier this year, we launched something that we're calling the Accelerated Growth Service, which really supports the growth of high potential firms through client-centric coordinated service delivery through the federal family. So in a government where there are maybe 240 programs that serve businesses, we've selected the ones that are really focused in their mandate on helping uh, high growth firms. So for example, this partnership is between the Business Development Bank of Canada, the Export Development Bank of Canada, Global Affairs, the National Research Council, Industrial Research Assistance Program, and the regional development agencies. So what we've done is tried to facilitate access to the existing programs, which provide support relevant to these kinds of firms, but we'd like to have coordinated access to financing, advisory and growth consultation services, mm. um, support for innovation, finding international customers and export opportunities, leveraging regional resources at the speed of business. Mm. You know, because one of the complaints that we get from businesses often is that it might be a good program, but it just took too long for me to get my approvals. So we're really trying to coordinate the support in a way that meets the needs of the entrepreneurs. So we're working with, with you know, organizations like Mars, Quebec Global 100, mm -hmm. BC Technology Association, you know, players who are already very plugged in and Startup Canada, you know, to talk about what are the needs and, and what kinds of support would be quick and meet the needs of businesses. So would you like some other examples? Because I could talk about women's entrepreneurship or youth entrepreneurship. I'd love anything that you think is relevant to this uh, audience. That would be my wish. So you yeah, go for I it. Yeah, I think I think the, I think these are because cool. you know um, if you support women entrepreneurs, that's you know half the entrepreneurs in Canada. Yeah. Um, there's a lot who are looking to expand their markets and to export. People don't always know how to do that. So, for example, we signed an MOU with another department. Um, 
and with the United States and Mexico to provide a collaborative framework for these three countries to address the barriers for North Americans, women, women's economic empowerment and participation, because it's not just within Canada that we need to look at taking down the barriers. We need to look beyond our borders and collaborate with the U.S. and Mexico, for example, to make it seamless. Right on. Um, the Business Development Bank, for example, is in the second year of a strategy where it'll provide financing and advisory services to more women entrepreneurs than ever before. But part of this includes raising awareness within the BDC itself, right, of the needs and opportunities and challenges for women entrepreneurs. I told you earlier that part of the best way to deliver cool services is to actually really listen to the people who need those services. So if you want to ensure that women across the country um, are getting what they need, you need to really be talking to them. You need to engage, which is why in a podcast like this, I want to assure people that we are open for business. We want to listen to people. We want to hear about your problems, and then we want to help you fix them. So, and I don't care how old you are. I mean, if you're a young entrepreneur, for the last 14 years or something, the government has provided funding to something called Futurepreneur Canada, which is a super exciting organization uh -huh. that really provides loans and mentoring to youth, to young business owners. So between the ages of 18 and 39, I love that, that 39 is young. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's great. It makes us feel not quite so old, Rivers. But, um, but uh, basically, you know, trying to figure out how to support them. One of the things we know is... <laughs> Is that businesses that businesses need access to financing, but most businesses, like half of all businesses, will fail in the first five years. But businesses that have mentors, eighty-five percent will succeed in the first five years. Uh -huh. That is a mind-boggling statistic. So it tells us that if we can provide mentorship at the right time, at the right level for an entrepreneur, their likelihood of success is just exponentially better. So that's one of the things that Futurepreneur does and does it really well. It's really always just a thrill to meet the Futurepreneur, the young entrepreneurs that I get to meet as a result of working closely with Futurepreneur. And, you know, it's part of essentially creating and maintaining a favorable business environment for SMEs. Yeah. And that's a really a key priority for us. I love the word favorable. And look, I'm, I am going to be uh, one to fully admit that uh, I was fortunate enough to be a founding uh, board member of Startup Canada way back in those early days and we talked about how the government would be involved and in those days there wasn't a sense that we were even even understood let alone wanted and but and in total fairness there has been a wonderful transitioning of uh, of opening up uh, opening up uh, the door uh, opening up the willingness and uh, and responding to uh, the dialogue that uh, that's there so uh, as as somebody who came in skeptical 6 years ago I, I must say it's been it's been a very healthy uh, view to watch that happen so congratulations on that I think it's really cool. Um, the The next question, though, is relates to that continuing transition. Um, you know, I've uh, I've um, as I say been involved with Startup Canada since since day one. Been involved with many conferences and so on. Where do you? Uh, where does you, the government that you work for now, the department you work now, how does Startup Canada? Uh, what what role does Startup Canada play in your journey, or can it play to better help you? You know, it's so great because Startup Canada, I have to say, I'm one of those uh, public servants that when Startup Canada first came to me to explain the model, uh, they had to explain it more than once. Because uh, <laughs> while, while I'm always very receptive to cool new things and I like people who wear nice t-shirts, um, you know, I just, you know, I just really, it took me a while to really figure out how I could help. Yes. 
um, you know, because it really sounded kind of sui generis. It really sounded like an organization that was taking care of its own and mm. like, what could I do for you, really? Mm. But um, but over the years, I think that we have found common ground of things that we can help with and ways in which we can contribute. You know, even this podcast, for example, I'm thrilled to be doing it because the more people who listen to this podcast, the more people will know there isn't there is an assistant deputy minister in Ottawa. Actually, there's more than one who's super interested in hearing from entrepreneurs like write to me, you know, yes. send me your problems. Uh, we are basically dedicated full time to trying to help uh, organizations like yours uh, reach out to the community and engage. This government is super, super, super charged about listening. And, you know, we're really focused on boosting our startup sectors and the entrepreneurship communities, which is really what you're all about. So really, my hat's off to you. I think, you know, Minister Baines is currently holding roundtables across Canada, which include entrepreneurs at every stage of business, including startup. And our idea is, like, what are their needs and challenges? We want to develop an innovation agenda that's inclusive for all Canadians and that really addresses their issues. You know, the worst thing we could do is set up a plan where, you know, two years from now, you and other entrepreneurs come to us and say, well, the plan sounded good, but if you had asked us, we would have told right. you that we really need, you know, mm -hmm. that's the kiss of death. Mm. That's what we want to avoid. So the more we can hear from you, um, you know, for example, VC, venture capital is a critical part of the Canadian economy, right? It provides funding that enables innovative early stage technology companies to survive and grow. So in 2013, the government heard that message from entrepreneurs loud and clear and launched the Venture Capital Action Plan, uh, which essentially was successful in creating four large national fund of funds that's raised over $1.3 from public and private sources. Wow. Uh, this capital is now being put to work to support innovative Canadian companies. You know, I'm sure there are many Startup Canada um, companies that have benefited from the VCAP monies. And really, what more could you ask for, right? You you know, the entrepreneurial community described a need and we, you know, responded. So as of, I don't know, March 31st, I think of this year, 20 Canadian funds had received $605 million in commitments under the program, which really translates into... 456 million in invested thus far in 126 Canadian companies with much more expected as the capital works its way through the system over the years to come. So, you know, that's really the hardcore results that we're looking for. Um, we want to learn firsthand from win women entrepreneurs, you know, what are the barriers they're facing? How can we, how can we fix them? What kinds of ideas do people have? Like promoting full participation of women entrepreneurs in Canada's economic development is a priority. I mean, you've heard the prime minister, uh, minister Freeland, you've heard minister Baines, minister Chagger, they've all said, you know, women's economic empowerment is really key to Canada's success, you know, because this is, I keep saying this is 2015. I know it's 2016, <laughs> but I'm trying to use that quote. You know, it's just getting maybe a little old now. Yes. But yeah, you know. Um, Do you, that's, you know, one of the uh, 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 feelings, issues, whatever you want to call it, specifically related to women entrepreneurship that, that I've always felt as a male entrepreneur is that it was being done at the exclusion of males and, and therefore, you know, given a, a higher level of, uh, of appreciation and respect, but you mentioned a good point just there. We want you to be there rivers and so on and so on. So how is, how is the government including the village of entrepreneurs in understanding that this really is an economic issue, not just a gender issue? 
Oh my God, I love that question. Well, you know, you find me an entrepreneur who works alone in isolation that doesn't have to deal with a supply chain or doesn't have to deal with customers or doesn't have to deal with other entrepreneurs. And I'll tell you, you are smoking. Mm something. Um, cause there is not one. Every, every entrepreneur is part of a community. They have a financing community, a marketing community. They have a customer base. They have, you know, we, none of us operate in isolation. So women entrepreneurs need to be part of the bigger community. And, and, uh, you know, basically the diversity of entrepreneurs, it really takes everyone to lift up all boats. So you really have to, you know, lift the whole tide. It's not just about being selective. We're not excluding anyone. And I would encourage, um, you know, all kinds of entrepreneurs to think about their, their supply chain and ask themselves, is their supply chain as diverse as it could be, you know, are they looking to women entrepreneur, women owned companies? Are they looking to companies owned by, you know, or run by, or that employ people with disabilities? Are you looking to new Canadians, you know, who are eager to get started in this country to be included? Are you leveraging and harnessing that talent? Are you doing it in a way that is truly Canadian? I mean, I think, you know, to a certain extent, if you get to our base values, that's what it means to be Canadian. So, absolutely not exclusive. We're focusing on women today because when we raise that tide, you know, actually there's an expression and I don't know where it comes from, but I think it's an African proverb. And it says that when you, when you, when you, um, help support women in a community, the children will grow taller. Mm. And what that really means is that, you know, when you, when you support and improve the conditions of life and the working conditions for one group, particularly a group like women who are very focused on their communities and not so much necessarily on self, you are helping a whole community and it improves things for the whole community and allows people to work together and obviously improves the conditions of life for children. But um, I would say to you, you know, encourage everybody to attend this conference because this discussion is analogous to many discussions that we will be having on all kinds of underrepresented groups. Our work, you know, to help Aboriginal people catch up and their communities to catch up um, is very similar. We need to look at what are the barriers for women? What are the barriers for Aboriginal um uh, and entrepreneurs or ad- Aboriginal communities, and how can we, as a as a community of Canadians, take those barriers down? How can we work together to do it? Shireen, oh my God, you love the question. Oh my God, I love the answer. <laughs> Great job with it. <laughs> awesome, I love it. Thank you so much. It, 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 just wonderful, wonderful insights. So let's uh, let's kind of uh, pivot again. As you know, it's the it's the word we use in business world. Um, let's talk about leadership. Um, and you know, leadership isn't always about being the president or being the CEO. Can you give us some insight advice you might have for our listeners on leadership from, from within, from inside out, from, from within yourself? You know, I actually give a lot of thought to this because when you are put in a position of leadership, you know, the things that are obvious are your accountabilities, the things that people are going to hold your feet to the fire on. You know, did you spend the money right? Did you employ the right people? Did you do it, you know, fairly? All of that. But really, as a human rights lawyer, I'm very rooted in fairness and administrative justice and things that have meaning for me as a person. And so in leadership, I think. If I had to sum it up, I would say always try to be the kind of leader that you want to be. Like when people describe you, 
make sure that what they the way they describe you is the way you actually want them to describe you. So you have to be mindful every day of the kind of leadership you're providing. You have to provide a kind of big picture outlet um, for people to really see where you're going. And really, you know, if somebody wants to lead a parade, but nobody lines up behind them, you're not actually leading a parade. Uh So I think in order to lead a parade, people have to want to come and be at your parade. So I actually set personal measures of success. Um, Aside from the obvious metrics, you know, for entrepreneurs, it would be profitability or social value that they've added, whatever it is for their company. But, and, and I do the same as an ADM, I'm given metrics that I need to meet, obviously, around spending, around support for programs, around the way we support ministers, et cetera. But personally, I set other targets. One of the targets I set is I try to look at how often does somebody approach me and ask me to mentor them? Or how often do people come and ask me for a job? Um, because they've heard something about my organization or about me, or they've seen something they like. In what ways am I actually reflecting what I believe to be truly my Canadian values of inclusiveness? How am I reflecting that day to day? And then what kind of feedback is coming back to me to know that I've done it successfully? So I think in some, I would just say, try always to be the leader that you want to be. Mm, love it. So let's talk about uh, how, how do you how do you uh, define, um, how do you, you, you set up your goals? Do you do it monthly? Do you do it uh, quarterly, yearly? How does that work for you personally? Um, for my personal goals, I think there are... Um, a number of metrics that I look at. It's not really linear like that. It's more, well, uh, and I know this sounds tremendously personal, but before I go to sleep every night, and I have done this since my childhood, so it's not something I developed as a leader in uh, in government or anything. Uh, so I try to do it as a parent and just, uh, you know, as a human being. Every night before I go to sleep, I actually take a small inventory of all the things I'm grateful for in the day. Mm. So all the great things that have happened. And so that's really a barometer for me on how my life is going. How am I conducting myself in the world? Because I truly do believe when you put good things out there and you reflect something positive, positive things will come back to you. People will come back with positive things. People are very drawn to positivity. And so the more authentically positive emotions that I have, the more I'm able to perform at my most optimal. So I do think it's about grounding yourself daily, um, not necessarily in metrics, but more in your own core, in your own values to just know that you are where you should be. And how much time do you spend doing that when you, at the end of the day? It just takes... It just takes a few minutes. It's literally before I go to sleep. Mm. The fact is I'm one of those people who's blessed with uh, instant sleep ability. Mm. So um, so kind of between my between the time my head hits the pillow and I fall off, uh, I've just always done this. It's like the last my last thoughts of the day are always that. Shireen, I am going to tell you, we were some lucky to have you on the inside <laughs> looking after us. It really is cool. You are an amazing asset to, I'm, uh, uh, I know Canada, but I'm sure your family too. And you have two children. Is that true? I do. Yeah. I have two incredible daughters. Yeah. And do they look at you sometimes and think you're weird or do they look at you now and say, oh my, you're awesome. Well, you know, they're in their twenties yes. 
and uh, and so now they're they're grown up women, yes. and um, and I think that I am very blessed to have just a wonderful relationship with both of them. Yeah. And I'm not sure who thinks who is more awesome, but I I would guess I think they're more awesome. But yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. I have three kids, a boy and two girls, and it's so cool to watch the relationship their mother has with the girls and that's di- the difference with the boy. But it's it's very special and it's very respectful and uh, going both ways. So so that's uh, really cool. So you have the last words, my friend. Uh, it's coast to coast. People are listening. You know, they stopped their cars. People are no longer working. <laughs> they want to. They want to hear your last words to uh, from this podcast. Share with us what you what you think is important to leave us with. Oh my God, Rivers, the pressure is on. <laughs> well, you just told say, us about your nighttime habits. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know it's a little personal. Um, you know, I but I would say, look, you know, because I'm a criminal defense lawyer by training, and here I am, you know, setting policy and strategy for how we help small businesses across the country to compete and succeed. So I would say, just remember that really anything's possible, and uh, you know, human beings have been really uh, lucky to be given the potential to think creative thoughts and to also be able to be inspired and to inspire others. And so I would just lay out a personal challenge for every entrepreneur who's listening. And I would say, whether it's in your personal life, your professional life, or your entrepreneurial life, I would say focus on being inspired every day and inspiring others. And then amazing things can happen. Entrepreneurs coast to coast. This has been Shireen Vinsby Miller, the Assistant Deputy Minister supporting Canada's entrepreneurs and small businesses. That's right, us. And we're lucky to have you. Thank you so much, Shireen, for your time today. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for joining us today on the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly program dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every Canadian. Want access to even more amazing entrepreneur content? Well, then make sure you check out startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events. And my name is Rivers Corbett. I'm your host. As always, I invite you to follow me on Twitter at Rivers Corbett. I do the same thing with conveying all kinds of cool ideas and uh, conversations with entrepreneurs around the planet to help you guys have super success. Until next week, I'm Rivers Corbett, leaving you now with a sneak peek of next week's episode. Okay, so let's talk about user research. And first of all, what the heck is user research that you're yeah, I want you to th- I want you to describe it as if you're talking to your grandmother right now. It's the process of going out and, and learning about what problems your users have and figuring out um, what they want and what their lives are like and how you can sort of make an impact on it. So it's really about doing research on who your customer is or who your user would be, mm-hmm. um, figuring out who they are as people, what motivates them, what challenges they face, sort of really building like a persona around um, who your typical customer would be, um, and then sort of continuously learning about them over time, especially as you develop your product. Um, and so you can learn about them as an individual or, or sort of before you have anything. So what problems do they have? How might you start to address them? And then as you develop a product over time, you can sort of also learn more about how they use your product, um, what they like about it, what they don't like about it, all that kind of stuff. So it's really a, a general term for learning about who your typical user is. So how does that differ from beta testing? So beta testing is um, sort of a specific kind of product testing um, that typically happens uh, after a, a launch, but before a public launch. 
Mm-hmm. So typically, um, in, an, in a technology firm, when you're developing a product, it starts off in an ideation phase and it goes through design, then it goes through engineering and then quality assurance. And after quality assurance, they sort of have a sort of a beta group or a beta test where um, they let uh, a number of customers or users use it that don't have the desi- the need or the expectation of like completely bug-free experiences. Um, and so that's usually a time where the company and the product team can get some feedback from people that will actually use the product before they go and promote it to the world and say, look at this amazing product we have. And so typically when people think about user testing, um, mo- usually they're only focused on um, the, uh, you know, we, we've just finished this thing. Now let's make sure it's not buggy and then let's launch it to the world when really you want to have the feedback and coming in and the sort of interaction with the customer throughout the entire process from the very beginning of I have this idea all the way through to the public launch. 